Picture Bride, Chapter 6. Taro stood in the middle of his shop and carefully surveyed the results of Hana's labors. It's a big improvement, Hana, he said with enthusiasm. I think your coming to the shop was the best thing that has happened. I knew a wife would serve some useful purpose if I acquired one. He glanced at Hana to observe the effect of his humor and was pleased to see that she had smiled with him. Of course, she answered, especially if the wife is as clever as I am. They laughed together and felt the beginning of an ease in being husband and wife. The week after the wedding, Hannah had concentrated on getting settled in the flat. She unpacked all her clothes and books and placed her possessions wherever Taro had made space for them. She made new curtains for the bedroom with Kiku's help, washing and ironing the others. When that was done, Taro asked her to come down to the shop. Hannah wasn't especially anxious to be harnessed to a succession of long days in his shop, but there was no way to refuse him. She'd appeared one morning in a large cotton apron with a thin towel wrapped around her hair to protect it from the dust. Just what is it you plan to do? Taro asked warily. Give your shop a thorough cleaning. I thought I'd first show you where everything is kept, Taro ventured, but Hannah was eager to get to the cleaning. She scattered damp tea leaves over the floor, sweeping the dust from every corner of the shop. I'll straighten out all the boxes on the shelves next, she announced. You must be careful not to mix the sizes and styles, Taro cautioned. He wasn't sure if she could read the labels, and Hannah saw his anxiety. Don't worry, she called as she climbed the stepladder. I can read English. It was one of my best subjects. She then proceeded to pull down every box she could reach. There were shirts and underwear, socks and collars, silk hosiery and aprons, and on the lower shelves, boxes filled with spools of cotton thread, darning wool, handkerchiefs, buttons, needles, and an assortment of notions. Hannah inspected the contents of each box with enormous interest and dusted everything with a large feather duster before returning it to the shelf. Tackling the dirt and dishevelment of Tarot's shop seemed to release the, the restless energy bottled up inside her, and as the shop improved in appearance, Hannah began to relax and enjoy herself. After a few days, Tarot stopped hovering over her and decided it was safe to leave her to her own devices while he worked on his books. Hannah worked next at scrubbing out the corner that harbored the Japanese food stuff. There were sacks of rice, tubs of bean paste, bean curd cakes and vats of cold water, barrels of soy sauce, and pickled daikon whose pungent smells filled the shop in spite of the wooden lids on their bins. Hannah rather enjoyed the smell, recalling the marketplace in Oka Village with an intense nostalgia. From the day Hannah appeared in the shop, the customers seemed to increase. Any number of single men would drift in during the day to buy a pair of socks for 15 cents or a handkerchief they didn't need or 10 cents worth of bean paste. Then they would linger to chat with Hana. When Taro was there, they asked her about Japan and her voyage to America. But when Hana was alone, while Taro went to the bank or the wholesalers, the men would stroll in and not even make pretense of a pur purchase. Do you have the time, sweetheart, they would ask, or what's a pretty thing like you doing in this shabby old shop? Hannah dreaded being alone and hated the hunger in their eyes as the men leered at her. She wished Taro could stay with her, but she knew she was most useful when she could free him for his errands. It was for this reason Taro had so painstakingly shown her where everything was kept and taught her how to count out change in American money. Now, as Taro complimented Hannah on the improvement she had made, he took a box of white knitting worsted from the shelf and told her she could have it to make a sweater for herself. As she joyfully inspected the wool, Taro told her of the trip he was about to take. Reverend Okada and Dr. Kanita had asked him to go with him to the farmlands near Salinas on a trip they both contemplated with missionary zeal. The minister wanted to tend to the spiritual needs of the Japanese farmers, while the doctor wanted not only to offer medical aid, but to advise the farmers of new agricultural methods he had read about in journals at the library. 
Both men felt keenly the plight of the hardworking farmers, farmers isolated from their countrymen in remote rural areas. They wanted Taro to go with them with Japanese food supplies, knowing those might provide more cheer than the comfort of two um, of them alone could offer. When they asked Taro to go with him, he had agreed, then thought of Hana. You will be gone all day, she asked anxiously. We should be back about supper time, Taro said. Don't you think you could manage? I suppose I could, Hana said tentatively, but she was also pleased that Taro felt he could leave her in charge of the shop. Yes, I think I could, she said. Good, then it's settled. We're going on Friday. That morning, however, Taro didn't seem sure of Hana's abilities, as he had first indicated. I've asked Kiyoshi Yamaka to stop by sometime during the day, he explained. He told me he's off this afternoon, and then there's Kiku. Here's the telephone number where she's working today in case you need help. He looked around the shop before he left, as though to reassure himself that all would be well. Now be very careful, he warned. I will. You will please be careful, too. Hana helped Taro carry out his supplies to the car in which one of Dr. Kanita's patients would drive them. As the men greeted her, she bowed to them and watched them drive off. Taro waved to her until they turned the corner. About noon, Yamaka strolled into the shop. Do you by any chance serve Japanese food here, madam? He asked with a grin. I would settle for a bowl of cold rice if you'd give me a pickled plum and hot tea to go with it. Oh, Yamaka-san, Hana said, melting into a smile of relief and pleasure. I'm so glad to see you. Have you had any trouble? No, no trouble. <coughs> Only one customer came. He wanted a spool of black thread to sew on a button. I was so lonely I al almost offered to sew it on for him. Yamaka looked serious. You must never perform those tender chores for anyone now except your husband, he said. A lonely man might mistake your kindness for something else. Yes, I thought of him of that. That's why I just sold him the thread and let him go. Yamaka brightened. I, however, shall gladly accept whatever you could give me for lunch, and I will know it is nothing more than the kindness of your gentle heart that prompts it. Hana hurried to the small room in back of the shop where there was a sink and a hot plate. She always kept a kettle of hot water ready for tea, and she carried out the tea tray with her own lunch. She had packed some rice balls, a hard-boiled egg, and some pickled radish, which was all she had left after packing a lunch for Taro and his friends. My lunch is very simple, she apologized, but you're welcome to half of everything, and there's plenty of tea. Impulsively, she went to one of the shelves and took down a tin of broiled eel. Here, we'll open this too, she said. I know Taro would want you to have a proper lunch. Yamaka pulled up a chair and sat opposite Hana at the counter while she peeled her egg. Breaking it in half, she dipped it in salt and offered it to Yamaka. Dozo, please have some. Yamaka's fingers touched hers as he took his half of the egg, and for a moment he looked at her with the same terrible intensity that had flooded Taro's face on their wedding night. He recovered quickly, however, and turned his attention to the food. It's very nice having lunch with you like this, he said. Yes, for me too. Are you happy here in America, in your new life? Hana was silent for a moment. It is still all so new and strange for me, but Taro-san is kind and patient. I hope to be a good wife to him. Yamaka nodded. Of course, that is how it must be. They finished their lunch, lunch in silence, each of them dwelling on thoughts that could not be spoken. Yamaka took out his cigarettes. Will you let me smoke, he asked, because if you don't, I shall have to go outside and loiter in front of the shop. I don't mind the smoke, Hana answered. Please don't go outside. We're not permitted to smoke inside the church dormitory, you know, Yamaka explained. Then what do you do? It's no problem during the day, but at night I have to put my head in the fireplace and blow the smoke up the chimney. Hana laughed at his wickedness. The others, too? We take turns. Those poor wretches were so afraid of being thrown out of the dormitory, they'd sit on the back porch at night, wrapped in blankets, shivering as they had their secret smoke. But now we stay inside and smoke all we please. It's just that we all have stiff necks in the morning. 
You're a rascal, Hana said, laughing. I think you're teasing me. I don't think you do that at all. Kayoshi Yamaka leaned toward her and suddenly took her hand in his. It is very good to see you laugh, he said gently. I've watched you all this time, and mostly you look so sad and vulnerable. But I knew all along there was laughter inside you somewhere. Hana drew her hand away. Oh, Kiyoshi-san, she said, giving, using his given name for the first time. This is quite impossible. I know that even better than you do. I want only your friendship, Hana. Nothing more. I swear. Hana caught her breath. If only it could have been otherwise, she admitted, immediately astonished at her candor and filled with remorse at her easy words of infidelity. It had been so simple for Yamaka to strip her out of her outer self, to reveal her heart as though she had removed her garments and he had seen her nakedness. I wish, she began, tears gathered in her eyes. I wish too, Hana, little Hana-chan, he murmured. Please don't cry. If only we had met in Japan before. You wouldn't have liked me, Yamaka insisted. I was a completely unreliable fellow. My parents hoped I would become a merchant or a shopkeeper and settle down to lead a respectable life, but I wanted none of that. I wanted to see more of the world than our small string of islands. When I had a chance to go to Hawaii, I packed my bags and left without even telling my parents I was leaving. I sent them a letter from Yokohama the day my ship sailed, and they've never forgiven me. Hana listened eagerly as Yamaka talked. I worked in the sugarcane fields of Hawaii for a while, he continued, but after a few months I grew restless and made my way to California. For the first few months I spent more time in the employment agency than anywhere else. I went out on calls from the farms and the fruit orchards to pick cherries and peaches and lettuce and strawberries. Then finally one day as I sat on the hard bench at the agency waiting for a call, I met Taro. Hana nodded at the mention of her husband's name. He was waiting for a call for a houseboy or a cook. He told me they made a dollar twenty-five a day, and while it was scarcely man's work, it seemed better than bending all day in the hot sun. We waited together, and when the first call came, Tara let me have it. In fact, he even went with me because I didn't know the first thing about being a houseboy. He was going to high school, too, to study English and bookkeeping. He used to tell me how the youngsters made fun of him, but he didn't give up. He helped me improve my English, too. He was always generous about lending me his textbooks and helping me study. He's been a good friend to me, Hana. Yamaka paused, but Hana was anxious to hear more. Please go on, she urged. Taro has never told me these things about himself, and I want to know more about you, too. It was as though a blurred image of both men were gradually coming into focus. There isn't much more. After a few more years, Taro had saved some money so he could borrow enough to go into business for himself, but I wasn't as careful. I liked to smoke and drink and eat good food. When I saved some money, I wanted a car before anything else for the sense of freedom it gave me. But Taro saved, paid off his debts, and finally he was able to send for a wife. Yamaka smiled. Here I am still drifting from one job to the next. But I'm a pretty good houseboy now and can cook a fairly decent meal. Someday, if I ever save enough, I'm going back to Japan. And then I'll settle down and look for a woman like you, Hana. And until then, I will stay in Oakland, work hard, and hope to see you and Taro often. I hope we can all be good friends. How old are you, Kiyoshi-san? 28. And you? 21. Yamaka cleared his throat and poured himself another cup of tea. Well, now you've heard the miserable tale of my life. And leaning back in his chair, he lit another cigarette. As Hana watched him, she realized she had never before talked with a man with whom she felt so completely at ease. She wanted to tell him that she would gladly, gladly work to help him save enough for a business of his own. She longed to tell him what joy she felt in simply being close enough to touch him. For the first time since she had come from Japan, she felt intensely alive. 
She was aware of every breath and movement of her body and saw every detail of the ugliness that surrounded her in the shop. Test, test, this is just a test. She could almost feel the texture of Yamaka's sweater pulled over his rough blue work shirt. She observed his thin nose and sensitive lips and the strong brows frowning slightly over his brown eyes. She felt as though the bindings of her body had been removed and she was free at last to feel truly alive. Now she knew the real reason she had traveled across the ocean. It was to be here in this place at this very instant. Suddenly she reached out and clasped Yamaka's hands in her own. You will always be my friend, Kiyoshi-san, she promised, for as long as I live. And for that brief moment, Taro did not even seem to exist.